Good to see this good number of folks we have here today to worship God. We are especially happy to have visitors in the crowd this morning. Thank you if you're visiting with our church family. We are so happy that you're here. Here at Monta Vista, at least once a month, we try to do a sermon from our Bible reading that we're doing this year. Right now we're reading from the Gospel of Luke, and our lesson this morning is going to come from Luke, the fifth chapter. We're going to start reading Luke chapter 5 this week, and I want to base the lesson from Luke chapter 5, beginning with verse number 27. In Luke 5 and verse 27, the Bible says, after that, he went out and noticed a tax collector named Levi sitting in the tax booth, and he said, he said to him, follow me. And he left everything behind and got up and began to follow him, and Levi gave a big reception for him in his house, and there was a great crowd of tax collectors and other people who were reclining at the table with him. What would it be like? What would it be like to follow the president around on a, on a typical day? You ever thought about that before? You ever thought about what it would be like? To just follow the president around on a typical day. I imagine that if we did something like that, we probably would be pretty busy. We probably would be in meetings with world leaders, staff members, and military leaders, and the vice president, and various members of Congress. We probably would overhear secrets concerning world issues that the general population is not supposed to know. We probably would be in a lot of meetings concerning this conflict going on between the Ukraine and Russia right now. We probably would hear the numbers millions and billions and trillions get thrown around all throughout the day. And if we're lucky, we may even get to board Marine One and Air Force One and get to ride the beast that is the presidential Cadillac limo. I'm pretty sure that we probably would have a very interesting time and be very busy if we were able to spend just one day with the president. But what about, what about Jesus? What about the Son of God? What about the King of Kings and Lord of Lords? What would it be like to spend a regular day with him? What would it be like to watch him begin his day with long periods of prayer to God? What would it have been like to take a boat ride with him across the Sea of Galilee? What would it have been like to hear him give perfect preaching and teaching to thousands and thousands of people? What would it have been like to see him perform a miracle? What would it have been like to see him give sight to the blind? and heal lepers, and calm terrible storms, and cast demons out of people, and walk on water, and even raise the dead. What would it have been like to see Jesus do supernatural things by the power of God, and what would it have been like to eat with him? What would it have been like to, to sit at a table and, and share food with Jesus? Luke actually gives us a glimpse of what that would have been like right here in Luke chapter 5. Here in Luke chapter 5, in these verses we just read together, we find the first 
of many meals with Jesus that Luke records in his gospel. In fact, at this particular meal, Jesus is attending a party that has been thrown for him by one of his disciples named Levi. Levi is also known as Matthew. Matthew would go on to be an apostle and the writer of the gospel of Matthew that we have in our New Testament. The scripture says that the Lord Jesus attends a social gathering at Levi or Matthew's house. And notice how at this gathering or a bunch of tax collectors. There are a bunch of tax collectors and sinners. Question, what is Jesus doing there? What is Jesus doing spending time with people like that? Why is he talking with people like that? Why is he socializing with people like that? Why is he eating and drinking with a bunch of tax collectors and sinners? I think those are good questions for us to think about this morning. In fact, those are the very questions that the scribes and the Pharisees had when they saw him doing this. They wanted answers to those questions. And so we go back to the text and in verse number 30 of Luke chapter 5, after the Bible says that Jesus was at a social gathering with a bunch of tax collectors and sinners, it says the Pharisees and the scribes began grumbling. Now that word grumbling you find there is the same word that is used to describe the people of Israel and the Old Testament when they were wandering in the wilderness. Remember, as they wandered in the wilderness after being delivered by God from Egypt, they grumbled, they complained. The Bible says here you have the Pharisees and the scribes grumbling at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Notice how the scribes and the Pharisees are disturbed. They're disturbed by what the Lord is doing here. They don't like what Jesus is doing here. They are puzzled by the fact that Jesus would actually share a meal with people like this. You see, in these times, in ancient times, in the time of Jesus, eating and sharing meals with people meant, well, it meant everything. It was a super duper big deal. It was actually seen in these times as an act of endorsement and acceptance. In the minds of the scribes and the Pharisees, a religious teacher like Jesus, a rabbi like Jesus, he shouldn't be endorsing people like this. He, he shouldn't be showing any kind of attention and acceptance towards people like this. They grumbled at the fact that Jesus would actually sit down and share a meal with a bunch of tax collectors and sinners. And so notice how Jesus responds to that in verse number 31. And remember in verse 30, the scribes and the Pharisees are grumbling at his disciples. They don't think Jesus can hear them, but Jesus answered and said to them. So he's reading minds he can hear all things and how would you like to go to a dinner party with him and he can hear everything that you're saying no matter how low you whisper jesus answered and said to them it is not those who are well who need a physician but those who are sick i have not come to call the righteous 
but sinners to repentance. In those verses, Jesus tells us exactly why he did what he did on this occasion. He tells us exactly what his motive was on this occasion. He tells us the reason why he did the things that he did was because of who he was. It was because he was a physician. It was because he was a great physician. He was a great spiritual physician who was constantly seeking after people who were infected with the disease of sin so he could call them to repentance. That's why Jesus did what he did on this occasion. And I think that we are challenged by that. In fact, I think we are all challenged by that in at least three ways. First, the great physician here in Luke chapter 5 teaches us that he loves all people. He loves and he values all people. He loves and he values everyone in his church. He loves and he values everybody out there in the world. The religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees, they fail to see that about God. They fail to understand that about God. That's why they're grumbling at what the Lord is doing here. That's why they're complaining about what he's doing. That is why they criticized him for spending time in Levi's house. You see why verse 27 tells us that the Lord called Levi to be one of his disciples while Levi was working at the tax booth. Verse 30 says that the scribes and the Pharisees complained that Jesus would, would, would even want to spend time in, in the home of a guy like Levi. They didn't like guys like Levi. You see, in these times, Levi, guys like Levi, tax collectors, well, they, they were not very much liked by the Jews. The, the Jews didn't like tax collectors. They especially did not like other Jews who were tax collectors. You see, guys like Levi, guys like Matthew were often viewed as traitors by most Jews because, for they, because they worked for the corrupt Roman government. They collected taxes for the Roman government. They also had a reputation of being dishonest and unethical. They often would overcharge people in their taxes and pocket the extra money. They had a reputation for being very corrupt and ungodly people, and Jesus is spending time in, in the home of a guy who's a tax collector. He, he, he is actually giving attention to a Jewish tax collector. In fact, not only does he give attention to tax collectors throughout the gospel, but as you continue reading the gospel of Luke and if, as you read the New Testament as a whole, notice how Jesus, in the gospel, we find Jesus giving attention to, to all kinds of different outcasts in society. In the gospel, we find him giving attention to, to lepers. We, we, we find him actually talking to lepers and even touching, ew, he's, he's touching lepers in order to, to heal them. Jesus gives attention to lepers. He also gives attention to poor people and blind people and demon-possessed people and prostitutes. 
And a woman who had a lot of baggage, a Samaritan woman who had been married not one time, two times, three times, four times, but five times. And the guy she was currently living with was not her husband. She was shagging up with that guy. And don't forget about the man we read about in our, in our scripture reading this morning. Don't forget about the man who wasn't just a tax collector like Levi, but he was a chief tax collector. That is, he had other tax collectors who worked under him. That's Zacchaeus. Jesus actually initiated an opportunity to spend time with Zacchaeus in his house. You see, unlike the scribes and the Pharisees who looked down on the poor and the blind and the tax collectors and the prostitutes, you know what Jesus did? Jesus went after them. Jesus called them. Jesus ate and socialize with them, not to endorse any kind of sins that they may be harboring in their lives, but to build influence with them. To get to know them, to build relationships with them, to call them, to call them to repentance. That is what we find Jesus doing here in Luke chapter five. That's what we're going to find him doing all throughout the gospel of Luke. And let me tell you something that really challenges us. That really hits all of us right between the eyes. I don't care how long we've been Christians. That shows us that if we're really going to be disciples and we say we want to be disciples, well, we're really going to be disciples. If we're really going to be like our master, Jesus, then we're going to have to see the value in all people. We're going to have to show love and concern for all people. We're going to have to show compassion and give attention to all people. We can't be like our master, Jesus Christ, only showing concern and giving attention to people who are like us. We can't be like our master, Jesus Christ, by only seeking to be around the people who are just like us, the people who may be clean. And they have the same religious beliefs that we do. And they're from the middle class and they dress like we do. And they have lawful marriages and no criminal backgrounds and 2.5 kids and even carry the same political ideology that we do. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus did not live his life like that. Jesus did not just associate with religious people who carried their Bibles in the upright position and prayed all the time and made him feel the most comfortable. Instead, Jesus spent time. Well, he spent time with all kinds of people. He welcomed all kinds of people. He showed compassion and grace to all kinds of people. He shows us that gaining influence with the lost and being around the lost doesn't mean we got to be like them and pick up their ungodly and sinful habits, but we can be kind to them. We can be nice to them. We can show them grace and patience. We can't do things like invite the lost into our home for a meal. We can visit them or one of their family members who may be in the hospital. We can't attend that son's or, or cardinal's game with them. We can't take them up on their invitation to go and see their kid's soccer game. We can't take part in their fantasy football league. We can pray for them whenever they start experiencing trials in their lives. You see, if we're going to get people to the great physician. You know what we got to do? We got to start being like the great physician. 
We got to start walking in the footsteps of the great physician while avoiding being of the world and like the world. We got to strive to do what Jesus has been telling us to do in the Sermon on the Mount class that we're in right now. And that is we got to be salt. We got to be lights. We got to strive to influence the world. We got to understand that we can't influence the world isolating ourselves and staying in our own little Christian village. Instead, we got to get out there with the world. We got to spend some time with the world. Like Paul says in Colossians 4 and verse 3, we got to pray for open doors of opportunity with the world. We got to pray for wisdom as we interact with the world. We got to understand that we're not going to win the loss by just waiting for them to come through those church building doors. Instead, we got to talk to them. Got to spend time with them. Got to show love towards them. Got to look for avenues to call them to repentance. We're not going to get people to the great physician by just hanging out with our friends at church. Instead, we got to look for ways every day to influence the lost. That's what Jesus did. The great physician values everyone. He loves everyone. He spent time with all kinds of people. And you know what he hates? Well, he hates self-righteousness. He hates self-righteousness. Question, why did the scribes and the Pharisees look down on Jesus for spending time with people like Levi? Why did they look down on Jesus for eating and drinking with a bunch of tax collectors and sinners? Well, the answer to that question is very simple. The reason they looked down on Jesus for spending time with people like that was because they were self-righteous. They were full of pride and spiritual arrogance. They viewed people like Levi and his buddies as a bunch of outcasts. They viewed them as beneath them. They viewed them as people who were at the bottom of society and they needed to be avoided. The Lord Jesus will constantly expose that kind of corrupt thinking all throughout his ministry. He's going to do it all throughout the Gospel of Luke. You watch for it. You watch for it in Luke chapter 6, Luke chapter 7, Luke 14, Luke 16, Luke 18. Jesus will constantly expose this kind of corrupt thinking and lifestyle from the Pharisees. In fact, the word Pharisee that the Bible uses to describe these guys, well, that word itself tells us a lot about those guys. As far as we know, the word Pharisee that is used to describe those guys is a word that means, well, it means to be separate. It's a word that, that tells us that these guys they wanted to be separated from the dirty, messy, sinful people of their society. Instead of being like Jesus and going and showing love and grace and compassion to all kinds of people, these men wanted to avoid certain people. They wanted to be isolated. They wanted to be separated from everybody and all to themselves. They believed, they really believed that kind of lifestyle led to favor with God. In fact, in addition to wanting to be separated from the people of their society that they viewed as beneath them. You know what else they did that Jesus couldn't stand? They came up with all these man-made rules and traditions and they binded those things as being equal to God's law. You see, in their mind, the word of God wasn't good enough. It was too vague. 
It was too general in certain places. They needed to invent some things and add some things to it to make it more specific. They needed to do things like tell you when and how to wash your hands. They needed to define what exactly constituted work on the Sabbath. They needed to lay out exactly how far you could travel on the Sabbath. And how you could collect food on the Sabbath and even whether or not you could perform a miracle by the power of God on the Sabbath. These kinds of men had that kind of mindset with them every single day. And Jesus, well, Jesus didn't go along with that nonsense. Jesus didn't go along with that kind of garbage. Jesus did not adhere to their man-made rules and traditions. He didn't bind to the fact that binding man-made rules and traditions was an avenue to gaining a relationship with God. In fact, he constantly condemned that kind of thinking. He constantly called out the unrighteousness found in that kind of thinking. He constantly called those men a bunch of hypocrites and phonies and spiritual frauds. He told them that while they tried to shut out certain people from getting into the kingdom of God. The fact of the matter was, because of their self-righteousness, they were the ones who were not going to be able to enter into the kingdom of God. Jesus told them that to their face in Matthew 23 and verse number 13. And then go over to John. Look at John chapter 9. Do you remember how in John chapter 9, we read about the occasion when Jesus healed this man who was born blind? You remember that? Remember, there was a man who was born blind. Jesus healed him by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the religious leaders, the Pharisees especially, they didn't want to accept that. They didn't believe this guy was really born blind. So they talked to his parents, talked to his mother, talked to his father. They backed up that he was born blind. They then talked to the guy who had been healed. And he said that, yes, a legitimate miracle had been performed on me, and they still wouldn't accept it. They still didn't want to believe in Jesus. They kicked the, the guy who had been healed out of the synagogue. And notice what happens in verse 35. In John 9 and verse 35, Jesus heard that they had put him out. They put this man out, and finding him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? Notice he doesn't know who Jesus is at this point. And Jesus said to him, you have both seen, and he is the one who is talking with you. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. And Jesus said, for judgment, I came into this world so that those who do not see may see. That is, spiritually see. And those who may see, who see, may become blind. Those of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and said to him, we're not blind too, are we? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But since you say we see, guess what? Your sin remains. That's what Jesus calls those guys. That's what Jesus calls those religious men, those religious men who they were alive today, they will be right there in the pew next to you maybe. They read their Bibles, they prayed, they worshiped God, they claimed to be righteous children of God. Jesus called these men, he called them blind. 
He called them spiritually blind and self-righteous. He says they were men full of pride and arrogance. And until they humble themselves and acknowledge their need for his spiritual healing and teaching, they would be lost. They would be eternally lost. That's what Jesus says to those guys, those religious men. Right there in that text. And the lesson for us is very simple. The lesson for me and you is we don't need to be like them. We need to do everything we can to not be like them. Unlike these guys, we got to avoid self-righteousness. We got to avoid thinking that we are better than other people. We got to avoid binding and putting man-made traditions on the same level as God's law. We have to understand that no matter how religious we are, and no matter how much we know the Bible and pray, and no matter how long we've been Christians, and no matter how much we evangelize and visit people and write cards and put our hands to the plow and do kingdom work, no matter what we do, we still need Jesus. We still need his grace. We still need his mercy. We still need his love. We still need his compassion. We're still, at the end of the day, just unworthy slaves of God. And when we do kingdom work, we're really just doing what we're supposed to do. We're not earning our way into heaven, as Brother Brett said this morning. And notice some scriptures, some other scriptures to go along with that lesson that back that point up. Luke 17 and verse 10. You're going to get there at some point this year, Lord willing. And there in Luke 17 and verse 10, Jesus is going to talk about disciples putting their hand to the plow. That's something we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be working. If we're just filling the pew right now, we're not doing God's will. That's clear. The scripture teaches that. But Jesus says, as we do that stuff, as we do what he has commanded, we need to understand something. We need to understand that we're not so great and so worthy of salvation. Instead, we are unworthy slaves. And we're only doing what we're supposed to be doing. Paul's going back that up further with Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, we heard this passage this morning where Paul says, For by grace you've been saved through faith. Grace through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's not a result of works or works of merit so that no one may boast. What is Paul saying there? Paul is there is saying simply that we can't earn our salvation. We can't work our way or, or think that because we're working for the Lord, we are meriting our salvation. No matter how much good we do in the kingdom of God this year or any year, we're blessed to be alive. we got to always remember we still need Jesus. We still need his grace and we still need the gift of his salvation. I believe that keeping this truth in the forefront of our minds this year will not only help us stay humble, as we put our hands to the plow this year, we will also help us keep a proper perspective of these lost people we interact with every single day. When we keep these kind of verses in our minds always, it will help us understand something that the Pharisees failed to understand. And that is, like the people in the world, we still need Jesus. We're not better than anyone. We still need Jesus, still need his love, still need his grace still need his spiritual healing because he is the great physician. And so in this text, we're learning some things about Jesus. 
we're learning he values everybody. And we need to value everyone. And we also learn that he despises self-righteousness. And we got to stay away from self-righteousness. But then the third thing we learn about the great physician is he blesses those who seek him. He blesses those who seek him. Going back to Luke chapter 5 one more time, as you notice that text this week, as you read it every day, I want you to notice something very interesting. I want you to notice how in addition to the Lord being drawn to sinners because he wants to heal them of their sin disease, Luke also tells us that the sinners are drawn to him. You see that? They also want to be near him. They also have a strong desire and passion to hear him give perfect teaching and preaching from the word of God. This is something else that Luke will emphasize to us all throughout this gospel. I want you to watch out for it. Remember in Luke 19 and verse 3, our scripture reading this morning. In Luke 19 and verse 3, we read about a man named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is an outcast in his society because he's a Jewish chief tax collector, but he has a strong desire to see Jesus. In fact, he wants to see Jesus so bad that he climbs into a tree. He climbs into a sycamore tree. And Jesus says, come down from there. I'm going to spend time with you in your house. Jesus invites himself into Zacchaeus' home. And when the people saw Jesus do that, Jesus let them know what he was all about. In Luke 19 and verse 10, he says, for those of you who have a problem with me spending time with a God like Zacchaeus, understand that the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. You put that with what you find in Luke chapter 7. Go to Luke chapter 7. And in Luke chapter 7, beginning with verse number 36, beginning with verse number 36, we find another meal with Jesus. Jesus is eating again. Only this time... He's not eating with tax collectors and sinners. He's eating at the home of a Pharisee. Can you believe that? Jesus is actually in the home of a Pharisee, according to Luke 7, verse 36. But verse 37 says something radical and interesting. It says there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. This probably refers to the fact that she's a prostitute. And by the way, this is not the same woman, Mary, who's the sister of Martha and Lazarus, okay? That's going to happen later towards the end of Jesus' life. That's not the same woman here, okay? So there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. And when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume, and standing behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfume Now the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, and he said to himself, notice he's thinking this to himself, and later Jesus is going to show, I can read your mind too, but he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. So, again, Jesus Unlike the scribes and the Pharisees, especially this self-righteous Pharisee, Jesus is showing attention to an outcast. The scripture says that a woman who is specifically known in the area to be a sinner, she seeks out Jesus to anoint, to anoint his feet 
with some very expensive perfume. She's going to wash his feet with perfume and with her hair. This woman has the courage, the courage to go into the home of a well-known religious leader who is very hostile towards her. She goes into this man's house just to see Jesus, just to wash his feet with her hair. This kind of woman is what's going to prompt Jesus to tell some of his most famous parables. Go to Luke chapter 15. In Luke, the 15th chapter, and in verse number one, again, we find similar language that we found back in Luke chapter five. In Luke 15 and verse one, it says, now all, notice that word all there, all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near to, to him to listen to him. Both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble. They're grumbling again, saying, this man receives sinners and he eats with them. Jesus will go on to combat their grumbling by telling three of his most famous parables. The parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost boy. All those parables are designed to teach how God wants all sinners to come to him. What I just want you to see is throughout the Gospel of Luke, and you watch for this, okay? You're going to find an interesting contrast taking place. You're going to find an interesting contrast taking place while religious men like the scribes and the Pharisees thought they knew everything and they rejected Jesus, the quote unquote sinners. Well, they're going to seek him. They're going to go after him. They're going to understand that he is the great spiritual physician who has the remedy for their sins and they want to get near him. These people are going to be very passionate about Jesus. And the lesson for us is we need to be like them. Like these, quote unquote, tax collectors and sinners, we also need to have a strong desire and passion for Jesus. I don't care how long we've been Christians. We need to always have a passion for seeking Jesus. We need to always have a passion for his righteousness and his glory. We need to always have a passion to seek him through that daily Bible reading that we're doing right now and through prayer and through coming to Bible classes and engaging in passionate worship and serving other people, serving our brothers and sisters in Christ, serving the lost, seeking his forgiveness by repenting. Whenever we start harboring sin. I don't care how long we're blessed to live on this good earth. Let us never stop seeking Jesus. Let us never stop seeking to be excited about him and passionate about him because he is what the scripture says that he is. He's the great physician. He's the only one who can heal us of the dreadful sin disease. The question is, do you need that healing this morning? You need the healing, the spiritual healing that comes by submitting to the great physician. If that's what you need this morning, then I want you to know something. I want you to know that the great physician, he's ready. He is ready to take away your sin. He is ready to heal you of your sin disease, but you've got to come to him. You've got to come to him on his terms. You've got to believe in him. You have to repent of your sins, and you have to obey his commandment, not my commandment, his commandment. Be baptized for the remission of your sins. If you will do those things, you will experience the greatest healing that you could ever experience in your life. 
And if that's what you need, then you make your way right here to the front, right here. Let's stand. Let's sing together.